All right, welcome in to the first edition of your Coastal Elites podcast. I am uh, Mark Ennis, just to tell you a little bit about myself and about what we're going to try to do with the podcast here. I am based in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, I work for 93.9 The Ville, and ESPN Louisville, a pair of radio stations here, uh, have worked in the Louisville market now for years, uh, now intimately familiar with uh, the ACC and uh, several members at least uh, from our old Big East days uh, in radio and in the blogging world, doing all the way back to uh, Big East Coast Bias back in the day. Uh, and I'm a junkie for a league that I think is underserved, underappreciated, uh, often the butt of jokes, deservedly so, but is uh, a, a weird entertaining, I think downright charming, uh, amalgam of schools trying to survive uh, as a conference and trying to, I think, survive in the world of college football where almost none of them are naturally sort of built uh, to be superpowers in the world of college football, but striving, but striving nonetheless. And then I think the, uh, the chronic underachievement of schools that are built uh, for that sort of thing. Uh, and this podcast is going to come out once, maybe twice a week. We might do something where, uh, depending on how easy it is to get this sort of thing off the ground, uh, some reaction stuff. Once the schedule normalizes a little bit after week zero and, and weeknight games on week one here, uh, we're going to learn a lot. This is a year with a lot to learn. Uh, and if you want to learn about the ACC, what's going on in the ACC, but elsewhere in the, in the world of college football, uh, this podcast is going to be part of uh, the Coast to Coast Podcast Network, which has some real experts and some of my really good friends in a number of different places. And so you're, I think you're going to get fantastic, I think, analysis from people who are close to the situations. In the South, we've got people in the SEC, uh, good friend Matt, the West Coast, the Pac-12 uh, football, uh, people who know Notre Dame, who know the Big Ten. Uh, it's going to be uh, an incredible amount of fun, and I think it's going to be a really nice, varied group of people who know a lot. And we'll, we'll work at, uh, alongside some of those people. You'll hear some of those voices. I'm going to go out of my way, I think, to incorporate some elements of my own radio show here in Louisville, The Drive, uh, which you can hear Monday through Friday on 93 in the Ville. Uh, well, some of our interviews are naturally, I think, going to overlap, and I'm going to include those. I'm going to let you hear those. Uh, including today, you know, Roddy Jones, ACC Network, he's going to be on the broadcast of tonight's game between Duke and Texas, Duke and Texas A&M, listen to me, Duke and Temple. Uh, he's going to be on the call for that. He's going to be here. You'll hear him on the podcast, his appearance on the radio show this week. We'll do a lot of that and try to keep these uh, kind of uh, aligned and, and, and overlapping where there's value from one. I'll make sure we include it here. Uh, as well, in what should be, I think, a, a one of the more fascinating years for ACC football in a really long time. Uh, I think that you know the Big East back in my old Big East days. If I could just gripe for a second, uh, I always felt like the league was chronically just unfairly treated. Uh, that that so much of the football uh, and the fans. Uh, and that sort of thing of old Big East football was really a lot better than it was ever given credit for. You know, I don't know that the ACC is truly unfairly maligned all that often. Uh, it's really been a lot of self-inflicted wounds here. It's really been a lot of uh, schools and teams with opportunities simply not take advantage of them. Schools with uh, the ability to be better than they have been, having no real excuse for why they aren't better than they are. Uh, and this 
is a rare year where I think going into this season, there's at least a, a pretty good reason or series of reasons to feel a whole lot better uh, about what can be done in the ACC uh, other than Clemson. And so much of any analysis of ACC football is has that hidden uh, qualifier in there other than Clemson or besides Clemson. Uh, we'll talk a lot about Clemson. But there's a lot of, to talk about in the ACC that I think is interesting this season, and we've already seen a little bit of it now in this uh, week zero and some of the weeknight games. We'll talk a little bit about we're recording this at the time where it's uh, some of the, the Thursday night games are over now. We've seen some week zero from a couple teams, the Thursday night games from a couple teams, uh, and then Saturday everyone else sort of kicks into it. And we're going to talk about all of it. But, you know, I think we would be remiss if we did not start by saying just sort of some – some big picture storylines for for 2022 for the ACC, and I think we would all be uh, being dishonest if we didn't say uh, that we're all kind of fascinated to see just how much, if at all, the general shadow and, and constant chatter about realignment, how much of that really overshadows the season. I do have sort of vivid memories of it really kind of wrecking uh, the Big East in a couple of different seasons uh, in the ACC. I don't know that we'll see any further realignment moves, but the constant chatter about it uh, has to have a, uh, some sort of effect on, on sort of fans and support and that sort of thing. And I'll be fascinated to see if we really get any this year. Uh, and if so, sort of how it plays out uh, among fans and administrators and a close kind of second to that as in terms of storylines is, what I'm fascinated in seeing, I've heard it kind of sneak out from people in their own analysis of individual teams and that sort of thing, but it does feel like outside of the schools and maybe even with those places too, who have you know, a, a football pedigree or have the fundamentals about them, they represent something that would be valuable to perhaps the Big Ten or the SEC in, a, in this new world of college football. Feeling like this is the the beginning of a period where everyone recognizes that, that they're under the microscope. And that in addition to the raw kind of competition and the ability to compete for ACC championships and perhaps be a college football playoff contender, will we see fans have shorter patience than, than they even normally do? Or will we see administrators and boosters and people who are more in the game than they've ever been, thanks to collectives and NIL and that sort of thing. Will we see even less patience? Will we see shorter leashes, less long-term willingness to sort of put up with? Uh, quite frankly, I think you'd say in the ACC, there are some real proven uh, patiences that have been rewarded. NC State, we'll talk a lot about them, one of the best teams, probably the the clear second best team in the ACC, and maybe the best, we'll see, uh, has been patient with Dave Dorn, and they've been rewarded with it. Wake Forest was very, very patient with Dave Clawson. They've been rewarded with it. I think Pitt was patient with Pat Narduzzi, and now they have something really established there. But I wonder if we will see this feeling of impatience and this feeling of the urgency of everybody's football programs got to really put on its best dress here. Everyone's got to look as 
good as they possibly can, as valuable as they possibly can uh, in the world of either trying to make the ACC more valuable as it is or to make themselves sort of realignment uh, candidates uh, expansion candidates in some sort of a distant future here. It will be fascinating to see if maybe we see coaches get a little bit less room than they would get in a vacuum because the school realizes we don't have time to grind through years where there's not a lot of uh, anything sexy happening. we got to get somewhere. And so I'll be, I think that those two dynamics just sort of hovering over the ACC all year, even if we're not talking about it explicitly, they're going to be there. They're going to be there. And how that plays out in kinds of the decisions that are made, uh, the, uh, the leash that various coaches and players and that sort of thing are given, uh, the degree to which schools take a stick with a model versus a, you know, coaches wanting to bring in transfers or, or you know, uh, flip-flopping around on coordinators and things like that. All of that, I think, is sort of going to play out in, in interesting and different ways than we've seen in the ACC before, where I think, again, everybody, I don't get the sense – that there is a tremendous amount of, like, let's do this together. Uh, the ACC knows they're bound by this grant of rights, uh, which seems, you know, pretty ironclad at this point, but we will see, you know, how that plays out. Uh, and, and everyone, I think, rather than sort of being in this sort of collective uh, improvement model here, I think everyone realizes this is home for now, but that it's really going to be up to each school, each athletic department, each AD, each head coach, so put their football programs in the, in the best place they can be in the best light forward uh, going forward. Some places, uh, some other storylines that I'm looking for, just kind of in an umbrella over the, the entire ACC. You got a lot of new faces uh, between head coaches and, and uh, new head coaches and coaches uh, with a lot to prove, making coordinator changes and philosophy changes, trying to sort of get something uh, straightened out or get something stabilized or get things going in a different direction with some fresh air. Uh, in the Coastal Division, you have four new head coaches, and, and each one of them is kind of an interesting fit in this league. Mike Elko, familiar with the ACC, uh, but is well thought of in the world of college football, taking on one of the most difficult jobs in all of college football uh, at Duke and walking in. Uh, to, unfortunately, I think Duke at the unhealthiest that it's really been in a long time, despite the great, great work that, that David Cutcliffe did. Uh, they're the two Virginia schools uh, trying uh, something new. I think the Virginia Tech, I would love to hear the eventual like autopsy of sort of what went wrong with Justin Fuente because they got up to a good start. He had a great pedigree. Uh, and it just sort of seemed like they won games and no one was happy or liked one another. And it's really going to be up to Brent Pry uh, to to fix that and to change that. And it seems like there, at least, in addition to sort of just the football moves, there's just some PR and uh, in, in good feelings work that need to get done uh, there. Uh, and it, at at Virginia, Tony Elliott uh, moving on from Clemson and trying to follow Bronco Mendenhall, who I will fully confess uh, when that hire was announced at Virginia, I didn't think much of that at all. I didn't. I thought it was very weird. Part of the weirdness made me think, hey, maybe this just might work because it's weird, and it did. Uh, but at the same time, I think Tony Ellett's walking in. He's a, comes from sort of a, a different place, a different way of doing things. He is walking in with the luxury of one of the best quarterbacks in the country, uh, and how he makes the most of him will be fascinating uh, to watch. There with the two Virginia schools, the new head coach, uh, with Duke, 
with the new head coach. And, of course, we cannot talk about new head coaches without talking about Miami uh, and Mario Cristobal and what has gone on there. I, I assert here, my personal feeling here is everyone in the ACC should be rooting for Miami uh, for this to work because I think what it will do, and what I mean by this is just this overall uh, commitment, athletic department-wide, uh, fan-base-wide, booster club wide for everyone to realize hey to be elite in college football uh, it takes a tremendous amount of resources commitment and alignment and it seems like Miami has that now uh, and if it works obviously that's great for the ACC it's great for Miami uh, but I think it will embolden a number of different places uh, to keep up what they are trying to do and I'm thinking of Louisville and NC State and others just realizing hey the football in the ACC like you can build something but you got to really do it on purpose and it's going to be really really expensive for you to do it uh, and, and I'll be fascinated to see how year one goes and if Mario who is obviously recruiting like gangbusters now uh, is is able to sort of keep that energy level up through a year where maybe the results don't necessarily match the just sort of the upbeat hype there maybe but maybe they do I mean every time you you bring a brand new coach into places I mean I vividly remember Scott Satterfield coming in here coming off a two and ten Louisville season and being pre- picked last and uh, being projected to go like four and eight you know they they went eight and five. Uh, I don't know that any of these new coaches have a dramatic increase uh, in how they think their teams or improvement will do in year one, uh, but it's always in, you know, entirely possible. And just like Tony Elliott of Virginia, to walk in with an established quarterback always makes your job a lot easier. And in terms of big picture storylines for the entire ACC, nothing encapsulates this ACC more. And it's one of the reasons I think that we're in for one of the, the – more enjoyable, one of the more competitive, one of the more entertaining years in the ACC probably since that 2016 season where you had a national champion, you had Florida State make the Orange Bowl, you had a Heisman Trophy winner at Louisville who was in the playoff contingent for most of that year. You had a fantastic year across the ACC with multiple top 25 teams and a Heisman winner and uh, national champ and, and great quarterback play across the league. 2022 has that too. When you look at Tyler Van Dyke, who we just mentioned, Brennan Armstrong, when you look at Malik Cunningham, Devin Leary, if uh, Sam Hartman at Wake Forest, you, even if, say, Garrett Schrader and Jordan Travis, guys who are more running threats, Phil Dracovic at, at Boston College, these guys get their, their passing acts uh, together, it should, there, there will not be very many ACC football games this year that don't feature at least one really good quarterback, if not both quarterbacks in the game. And and there's simply no denying that football, aesthetically, is just a whole lot more fun to watch when the quarterbacks are extremely good. Uh, And it makes for uh, a lot more enjoyable product than the ACC has had. And look, there's been years where quarterback play hasn't been very good. This is not one of those years. If DJ Uyunglele puts uh, gets his act together uh, and is more like the freshman kid who stepped in for TJ, uh, TJ Lawrence, listen to me, uh, for Trevor Lawrence, uh, if he uh, DJ and TJ, I just sort of combine them into one person. If you have him, you know, sort of take a step forward. If Phil Jakovic is totally healthy, Boston College is going to be a lot more fun. Uh, Garrett Trader, uh, if Robert and I and the staff there on offense can can 
bring out of him something like of what they did with Brendan Armstrong. All of a sudden, you know, well more than half the league, Jordan Travis, same thing, well more than half of the league will have uh, top-flight quarterback play, and that just makes for a better league. Uh, and I can, I think it's just going to be fun for everyone to watch. And I mentioned you know, some coordinator changes there as well. Uh, Robert and I and the staff going to Syracuse, a place where Dino Babers has been known. Uh, for his own offensive style to sort of hand that off to to coaches and to to bring him in after a great uh, run with with Brennan Armstrong airing it out at Virginia to bring him into a quarterback who's not a great thrower but is a great athlete in Garrett Schrader and uh, Sean Tucker who is one of the best running backs in the country uh, it will be an interesting mixture of those uh, there and I think that for Louisville. You know, to bring in Wesley McGriff as a co-defensive coordinator to try to make some changes kind of around the edges with the Louisville defense. And so much of Louisville's expectations and hopes for this year rise and fall with what they're doing uh, defensively uh, there with with coordinator changes. Uh, at Clemson, you know, Dabo Sweeney and, and his recipe for success, so much of it has been, I think, kind of continuity and an established culture. Uh, and to lose both coordinator something he has not really had to deal with in his time at Clemson he's had extreme continuity and stability something that I think has been the envy of the college football world the inverse of Nick Saban and the sort of seemingly uh, constant change of coordinators there uh, I don't I don't know that I can tell you like I'm sure that there'll be no difference I, I know that uh, for instance I think Andrea Adelson with ESPN who will join us you know at some point uh uh, on these podcasts over the next couple of weeks has been, you know, unequivocal. She doesn't think it'll make a difference. And if, if a head coach loves uh, walking in with a great coordinator or excuse me, with a great quarterback there to sort of make his new job easier, stepping into uh, being the defensive coordinator at Clemson with the number of just truly future pros all over like the front seven of that defense, that'll make their life a little bit easier. But personally, you know, I think Brent Venables is a, is a great defensive coordinator, great recruiter, all that sort of thing. But he's also just a, an enormous personality. And I, I will be fascinated to see how those moments where, like, sort of his maniacal kind of research and his emotional boosting of guys and, and motivating that sort of thing. You know, I don't think it's anywhere close to automatic when that you can just bring him in or excuse me, lose him, promote the, the person below him, and everything stays the same. There will be a moment, I think, this year where you recognize that he and Tony Elliott are not there. Uh, and, and it will be up to them, you know, to, I think, account for that and be prepared for that. But those are kind of my, my big picture storylines that I'll be watching uh, this season. In addition to, I think, some expectations at at places that have, are not maybe used to having them uh, or who wish that they would, could get them back. Uh, and in particular, I'm thinking of NC State, and I think it's one of the most unique, it is unique in the world of, of college football, where I think everyone thinks that their team, like everyone's out to get them, but none more so than NC State. And no, uh, no fan base, I think, is more convinced of sort of the things being slanted and sloped against them uh, and, and people being out to get them. Uh, and just that if there are hopes and expectations, reasons to get excited or get your hopes up or whatever, uh, that it's it's something to be wary of more than, than NC State, but they are. This is the best NC State team in ages. And the expectations are there.
And there really will be no excuses. And there will be, I think, extreme disappointment if that team doesn't win the Atlantic or compete for the Atlantic uh, and have a breakthrough season. And there's really no reason football why they shouldn't football wise why they shouldn't be able to do that. This is entirely about uh, the history indicating that when they have opportunities like this, NC State steps on that rake every time. And the fascinating thing will be just to see what have they learned, what are they going to do differently, what have they done differently uh, that we would be able to to see a difference and see some reason why 2022 uh, will be any different. And then sort of on the flip side of that, you've got a series of coaches in this league with some form of pressure on them. Mike Norvell needs to have a good year for Florida State. And they're not swimming in money, but there needs to be real progress starting this weekend against LSU. Scott Satterfield needs to show progress at Louisville. Dino Babers desperately needs to show progress at Syracuse. Jeff Collins uh, has got to have some actual progress at Georgia Tech. It's uh, it's sneaky, one of the jobs with the most potential and some of the most unique challenges in the ACC and maybe in the world of college football. Uh, But they have not... Things have not gone well in trying to find join kind of modern football and uh, recover. Well, not recover. I don't want to be unfair to Paul Johnson. They were successful there, but move beyond uh, a unique way of doing things that was going to to take the kind of patience that we're wondering if anybody in the ACC can really afford to even have anymore. And it doesn't help, by the way. Just as a complete aside, to be Georgia Tech, to have issues, uh, to have challenges, to have things you got to make up for that sort of thing, and then realize that. Every single year, well, it ends after this year, but your, your cross-division opponent, the permanent one, is Clemson. Your in-state rival that you play guaranteed at the end of every year is Georgia. You routinely play Notre Dame as a member of the ACC, uh, and they continue to schedule, I think, some pretty tough teams in the non-conference. Uh, this year's schedule is maniacal for a guy trying to save his job. They're doing Jeff Collins no favors, and he's another one making staff changes and that sort of thing to sort of try to – shake something loose, get something uh, to grow uh, there at Georgia Tech because it is not an easy job uh, to do. We mentioned uh, that we talk uh, with uh, various ACC-minded folks kind of throughout uh, the season here on this podcast, which you'll hear again. This is your Coastal Elites podcast. That's part of the Coast to Coast College Football Podcast Network. Uh, follow, Find us on Spotify. You can find us on I, uh, was it? iTunes, whatever iTunes is now, Apple Podcasts, whatever it is. Uh, you'll be able to find us. Uh, there and enjoy t- uh, perspectives from really across the country. We'll have good voices in here. We have uh, a long discussion about this opening weekend of, of college football with Roddy Jones from the ACC Network on, from my radio show here in Louisville on 93 on the Ville. We're going to let you guys hear that. little preview action of this weekend's ACC uh, games with Roddy Jones from ESPN and the ACC Network. Roddy, last time we talked to you, I think there was baseball happening behind you. So we've made it through the long days of summer. Your football's back. How good does this feel? It uh, feels really good, Mark. Appreciate you having me on. Um, as much as I love covering regionals, as much as I love covering a Louisville regional, uh, there's nothing like covering football. And this is this is my uh, you know this is, is my home. Uh, so I'm excited about uh, I'm excited about getting going. Uh, in the ACC this opening weekend here, which one of which one matchup seems juiciest uh, to you? Which one are you most looking forward to? In particular, like I don't know what's going to happen there. I can't wait to see what happens in that one. Which one of these sort of has you most intrigued? You know, 
I think after we saw last weekend, I'd say App State and uh, North Carolina, um, because we haven't seen App State play. They've got a lot back on the offensive side of the ball. Some questions on defense, but the fact that Carolina struggled stopping FAMU on offense at times makes me feel like that this could be a shootout. And if there's a shootout, shootout in Kid Brewer Stadium in Boot, North Carolina, at noon on a Saturday, and Carolina's in town, I feel like anything can happen. So, so that one certainly stands. Out. I think there's some other interesting ones. BC Rutgers is an interesting one to me. Uh, Syracuse Louisville because of the conference game, um, and, and then that Florida State LSU game, and and that one's sort of the easy one because everybody's talking about it. But LSU is a really interesting team, man. Ten guys drafted last year, new coach, new coordinators, sort of a new vibe around that, uh, that LSU program. Brian Kelly knows who the starter is going to be, but none of us do. So uh, it's just a really interesting matchup with the Florida State team that I think is ascending, but it's certainly not on the level from a talent standpoint that LSU is. So I think that one's interesting too. What are your 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 thoughts on the the, the Vegas line for Louisville at Syracuse? It's been a, a really lopsided game the last two years, and there's a whole lot of continuity between these teams and and, and last year. But Syracuse just a, a I think four and a half or so in most places. I would have expected. The touchdown or something like they've been very lopsided games. What's Vegas seeing in this one that they're expecting this one to be a whole lot closer than it's been in in several years with Louisville and Syracuse? Yeah, I I think like I was actually surprised when I went back and looked at the scoreline of that game that it was as lopsided last year as it was because to me those teams weren't that far apart, especially when Syracuse figured out how to run the football with Garrett Trader and Sean Tucker. I think what they're probably seeing is Louisville struggles defensively. The fact that Sean Tucker is back, the majority of that offensive line is back. The Syracuse defense was one of the best in the league last year, and they held Louisville to its third lowest uh, offensive putout of the year last year. So when you put all those things in there and you see the score line and you kind of see how it happened, it makes you feel like, hey, it should be closer. But I don't I'm not sure that Vegas really knows how to gauge the transfers that Louisville got in, especially on the defensive line, the return of Monty Montgomery, because I think those two things really improve Louisville's defense just off of talent alone and explosiveness. And then I don't know that Louisville's offensive line is getting enough credit for what they've got coming back. should be one of the best, if not the best, in the league. So I would have had it at like a 10-point game if you were asking me to handicap. I am nowhere near as smart as those guys, uh, but it feels more like that should be the spread um, than what it is right now. We're talking with Roddy Jones from the ACC Network and ESPN, one of our favorites to talk uh, ACC football with. Uh, You mentioned North Carolina and App State. It's kind of a fun, uh, I don't want to do little brother, whatever you want to call it pair of games with NC State and East Carolina with North Carolina and App State. Uh, I know with App State, it's sort of any chance they get, there's sort of an emotional element to sort of punch up and get one of the bigger schools in North Carolina. East Carolina loves to do the same thing, and you've got NC State with, with real expectations and, and really uh, embracing them, I think, this whole offseason uh, with their, their rhetoric there. Your thoughts on NC State at East Carolina and, and all of the, the history of NC State sort of tripping over the uh, rakes in the yard when they have expectations like this? Well, 
I, first off, just about the game, I absolutely hate the fact that they're playing this game at East Carolina. Um, the, the ACC has 10 games where the ACC schools go to group of five schools this year. That's ridiculous. The, the, the other four Power Five conferences have three each. The SEC has two, or excuse me, three. Vanderbilt goes to two of them, and then the third one is Arkansas going to BYU, which is like a completely separate thing, and I don't think should even be counted in this. Yeah. Like going to BYU is a trip that everybody should take at some point. Well, yeah. uh, based on based on recent based on recent uh, events, maybe nobody should take that trip. Yeah. But but going yeah. to BYU is certainly mm. a different story. Um, so so the league has to get this out. Like you cannot have this become a regular thing. I think there's six on the schedule next year. I get the financial part of doing it, but it doesn't set your 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 league up for success. The 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 fact that that UNC and and uh, and NC State are playing in state group of five teams is great. I think it's great for the state. But if if the league is looking out for what's best for itself, set your team up for success by playing that game at home, so that you're not not only playing a team that's excited to play you, but also playing a fan base that is going to show up and make it raucous and make it tougher for you to win that game. Because if any of these, if the league loses any of these games, we all know what the narrative is going to be, especially when you have a top twenty five team going on the road now now that i've gotten off my soapbox thanks for coming to my <laughs> ted talk um the ecu is a really good team man uh yeah. mike houston played nc state in his first game it was an absolute blowout back in 20 i believe it was 2019 they played that game um but this is a different team the same quarterback that started against nc state in mike houston's first game is starting against nc state in this game holt nailers who's kind of a tim tebow light um you know the, the the sort of what you'd expect east carolina version lefty good runner uh adequate passer but sort of a heart and soul type guy they've got an all uh, an, an all American all American conference, not all American, but but American <laughs> conference first team running back potentially. So so it's going to be if NC State doesn't play well, it's going to be a struggle for them in Dowdy Thicklin to go win that game um, because ECU has done a nice job of building back to where they were when they used to be the NC States and the Virginia Techs on a regular basis. Uh, Roddy, you you mentioned with NC State, you know, they got expectations this year. Uh, it's a, and I think rightly. In fact, I'm not really sure what the the only thing I ever hear anybody sort of have their doubts about NC State is really just that they they don't do these things, right? Like I'm not going to pick them to win because they they just don't. But when it comes to like the actual team, is there an obvious? thing about this team like football wise you look at you like okay that might be an issue this year that might be where they sort of falter if they do yeah, uh, and, it, and it's one of the reasons why I'm not as high on NC State as some people. I think they'll be a good team, but um, I mean, this was an offense last year that was the top part of the middle tier. They weren't a great offense, uh, and they got bogged down at times. They struggled running the football, and they lost their two best running backs, their first-round top-ten left tackle, and their leading receiver, who made a ton of plays for them downfield. It's one thing if, like, a Mecca Mezzi was just schemed open all the time. No, he was. It was back shoulders from Devin Leary. It was passes downfield, making big plays, and so you lose those three things from an offense that was, you know, a slightly better than average. Uh, is that team going to get better on offense? And I don't know. And if they're not that much better on offense, or if they're not better at all on offense, 
then then how can you expect him to take a big step unless the defense is markedly better? And, and maybe that defense will be, but it's a lot of guys that have played a lot of football. So uh, how much better can they get in this in this year, especially with two of the better players coming off of injury? Um, I, I'm not so sure. So so I do have some concerns about them being talked about as like you know challenging Clemson or at the top of the ACC, uh, even the Atlantic. I think their floor is pretty high, but I also am not sure if their ceiling is as high as people think because there's some legitimate questions on offense on who's going to be the playmaker, who's going to go out and make the plays around Devin Leary because we've seen some of those guys, a lot of the guys that we're talking about, we've seen them before, and they have not been as consistent as the guys that they lost. So so I think that is a legitimate question for NC State. You previously mentioned, uh, we're talking with Roddy Jones here from the ACC Network and ESPN, you previously mentioned Florida State and LSU has been kind of an interesting game. I agree. We got one look at Florida State and weather delayed game against Duquesne. Now, they didn't cover, but they won by forty. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it, so it was you know it was good. However you want to look at it, you can look at it, right? But they didn't air it out. They ran like crazy. I don't know what to make of Jordan Travis yet. Still kind of as a passer. You, you, did you learn anything of value from that Duquesne game at all? Did Florida State even expect to? Yeah, I learned they're a good team, Mark, not a great team. Okay. Good teams win, great teams come. That's right. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I, so from a maturity standpoint, this team is in a different place than it was a year ago. I mean, this team a year ago, I'm not so sure that they wouldn't have looked ahead to LSU and and, and gone out and laid it egg, kind of like they did after the Notre Dame game yeah. last year with Jacksonville State. They played around with them, they lost the game. So, so from a maturity standpoint, this team is further along. They went out, they took care of business. The three running backs are as good a trio as there is in this league. Yes, I'm including Clemson in that. They're not as physically talented, but they run more competitive than, than those than those uh, than the collection of Clemson backs does. That's not a slight on the Clemson guys. It's a compliment to the Florida State guys. Um, and, and then I think you you learn that defensively, they should be able to get pressure on the quarterback with Jared Verse and Derek McClendon. So uh, those were sort of the things that I learned. The questions I still have are same as you. I'm a little more bullish on Jordan Travis throwing the ball than it sounds like you are, because I think he is capable of it. I am not as bullish on who he has receiving the football, because that's a big question. Kentron Portier had a nice game, but that was in relief of Johnny Wilson, who got hurt, who had a drop earlier in the game, and then had a big catch and was a little banged up. Uh, We did not see Pokey Wilson. Um, Micah Pittman's a good piece, but I have questions on whether or not he can be a downfield threat, and then Malik McLean and Deuce Spanner are, are 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 very talented, but, but sort of still raw at receiver. So I do have questions about them at receiver, um, and they're going to need to have those questions answered against LSU because that's a really talented roster. Roddy, we appreciate you making time for us as always, man. Enjoy uh, the return of football tomorrow. We get uh, backyard brawl with two uh, former USC quarterbacks at the helm there. That'll be great. Yeah, it'll be a lot of fun. Don't forget VMI going to Wake Forest. We got our first look at Mitch Griffiths taking the snaps for the Deeks. Uh, Mark, appreciate you having me on. All right, that was Roddy Jones from ESPN and the ACC Network giving us uh, a little preview action here. Uh, the pretty good chance, just to let everybody know again, we'll, this thing will come out, this Coastal Elites podcast, as again, part of your Coast to Coast College Football Podcast Network of folks. Check us out. There'll be stuff. You'll get something basically every single day on that podcast feed. So be sure to check it, refresh it. Uh, this thing will grow. Look, we'll, we'll sex it up here over time. We'll have our uh, intro and outro music and all this sort of thing. We'll have guests. We'll have some features and stuff as we sort of figure out the shape 
this podcast is going to take. I'm going to figure out the shape that this college football season is going to take. Uh, we'll figure out, quite frankly, the shape the ACC might take You know, over this year and the next couple of years. Uh, but a lot for us to sort of feel out, learn about uh, together. But we'll, we might have you know some reaction things on Sundays. I'm going to figure out exactly how that's going to work for everybody. But uh, this is your first edition here of the Coastal Elites podcast uh, about the ACC. I definitely, ironically, going for that name. Uh, as a podcast, uh, because nobody thinks the ACC is elite, but damn it, we're going to call them that anyway, and we're going to have some fun with it here uh, throughout the year. One thing that definitely will not happen is anyone uh, on this podcast taking the ACC too terribly seriously. Uh, we're not going to be uh, humorless about this. Uh, we're going to enjoy ourselves, whatever the fate of each individual team is, uh, or the ACC really as a whole. But I appreciate all of you listening in for this first one. Uh, we are, again, just getting started. This is going to be incredibly fun. Uh, we'll have uh, guests in here. Uh, we'll, we'll develop some features that I think we're able to work in, and maybe some sponsors in it, wink, wink, if you want to join in, that sort of thing, too. So we got plenty that we're going to do here throughout the season. Uh, probably do some cross-promotional things with some of the other podcast guests, or hosts, excuse me, in this network here. As well, I'll incorporate plenty of stuff from uh, the radio show that I do during the week as well here. So plenty to get to. Plenty to keep us busy and entertained really all season, but I appreciate you guys listening in to episode one here of your Coastal Elites podcast. I'm Mark Innes. We'll see you guys next week.